0: Hey everybody, welcome to Slip Angle. The next 10 or so episodes are going to be ones which I recorded at Barber Motorsports Park with as many grid life and other drivers in the paddock that I could absolutely find. It was a fantastic weekend. I really, really enjoyed being there and I hope you enjoy the conversations. This first episode is one which uh, I recorded with Scott Malloy. And then there is a second part with Andrew Rains, where we talk about some endurance racing work that he's doing. Hope you enjoy. welcome everybody to barber motorsports park i'm abe and scott Malloy is here
1: hey everybody and
0: we are on a podcast bender for this weekend um i'm here at just track it uh, in january for like i don't know i think i think i've been coming like four or five years now this event has uh i in my opinion kind of exploded because it seems like uh the asm guys started coming down first um and that's where they got to know Zach and, and a bunch of other people from this area. But it's it's like the perfect winter testing weekend for almost everybody because it it is right before uh, racing uh, within the Gridlife series starts to uh, like begins, and so people can come and test out new setups. Lots of people run brand new stuff, and uh, it's a really really fun weekend. And I love Barber. Scott, this is your first time here. It is. Uh, you drove in with with Ethan and I. We stopped and picked you up last night. Um, what's your impression, having only seen from the window of the back seat of the car?
1: This is the most beautiful track I've ever been to.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, like, it,
1: like by far,
0: <laughs> it's it is an absolutely crazy place. The motorcycle museum is amazing, and. Uh, the, the facilities and the venue and like the track itself is just so much fun. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about this place ever.
1: I, I can completely imagine like just driving in and like, I, I'm a big fan of like the natural terrain type racetracks. Like where it's like, Hey, here's this ribbon of asphalt that's put in this really interesting place. Uh, got spoiled in California with a lot of that, you know, Laguna Seca, Thunder Hill, Sonoma, stuff like that. Um, But I definitely love the, like, East Coast with the trees and there's, like, a pond and there's a waterfall. Like, those Uh, are things that just don't happen in California. Last year
0: at Lime Rock, um, it's, like, in a valley in the mountains in Connecticut. And you just, like, you look around and you're like, well, just like, like, road America. It's just like, well, this is a beautiful place to be. There's a racetrack here and that's great. Yeah. But if there wasn't a racetrack here, it'd still be great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So... I think that's, like, one thing that's actually, like, having been on the West Coast for so long and then coming back east and uh, joining up with Life. like, the tracks that we've gone to, I'm like, you know, even NCM, right? Like, it's a track on the side of the highway, but the facility is so cool, and, like, because of the natural terrain of this area, you end up with these tracks that are just, like, these flowing ribbons of asphalt that, like you can pretty much put it anywhere, but you choose to put it in a place that is beautiful or that is attractive to your customer base. Where, like, California, like, even Sonoma, it's a bucket list track for a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of pro racing that happens there. There's a ton of uh, history at that track. And when you drive into Sonoma, you literally drive through the wetlands north of San Francisco, and then there's, like, a track on the side of a mountain. But it's, like, it's not, like... a a particularly beautiful or special place. It's just the history of the track that makes it so attractive.
0: So we're, uh, if I didn't say already, we're in Andy Smedegaard's trailer. It is chilly today. It Um, is. I left my hat and gloves in the hotel room, and it's a little breezy, and it's like 34 degrees. Um, So we just wanted to get out of the wind. So you're going to hear people in the background coming in and out of a trailer because we're squatting. And, uh, I'm okay with that yeah, because I'm, this I'm okay is, with it too. <laughs> this is my, this is my dirt bag weekend, right? I'm here, uh, not to drive and not even really to ride along. I made a decision. I was just, I left my helmet at home. I'm just here to record podcasts. And if I can do 10 over the course of the weekend, I'm going to be really proud because at Coda last year, I think I recorded seven and I was like mentally exhausted so we're going to try for a little more.
1: Coda was a little weird too because that first day was like so, so windy. Like if you were standing oh, in dude, the it was tech so shed, cold. It I had was so cold. I had windburn on my face. Like everybody thought like, oh, dude, you need to put sun, sunscreen on. Like everybody kept saying, I was like, no, this is wind burn because I'm standing in the tech shed all day yeah. weighing cars. And it was literally a cold wind tunnel of air just like blasting us in the face all day.
0: Well, that, that event was a lot of fun as well because... Um, it being in Texas is like not really close to anyone except for people in Texas. Uh, but uh, super lab battle draws some people from the East coast and some from the West coast. Mm-hmm. And so last year we did that show with Amir, uh, which was really interesting because it, it was the, I think the last event before he really dove into unlimited. Um,
1: yeah. I think he did a couple more. I think he did like the Ridge Motorsports park and stuff okay. like that. But then he started running into some issues uh, at Coda. Actually, I think he popped an engine and, that um, might have been
0: two years ago. Um, he, uh, but in, in any case, yeah. um, like we're, we're kind of at the start of the 2023 season. Gridlife has announced their schedule, um, and Gold Pass went on sale yesterday. Now, um, I think you and I are essentially planning to go to as many of the events as, as we can possibly make time for. Mm-hmm. Which, which track on the calendar has you most excited personally?
1: all of them. <laughs> um I can tell you that while I was at work uh watching the live stream next to my cutting board, uh I l- physically jumped up and down when Watkins Glen was announced. Yeah. Um I I don't have much history myself as far as like watching a lot of races there. Um but it's definitely a legendary place that you just like know about. Yeah. And that, that is in a region of the country that I'm very excited to go to because I've never been to that area. Um, the Finger Lakes are supposed to be absolutely stunning, and, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. I'm also incredibly excited about Laguna. While it's not my favorite racetrack to go to, um, I do have some history there, and I have a lot of friends on the West Coast that are planning to, to kind of pop their grid life cherry and uh, come and see what we do. Um, I've talked to a bunch of my old 8.6 uh, Drive Challenge guys, and they're pretty stoked about it, and they've kind of been wondering more about grid life. So I've kind of been a little bit of a conduit between uh, what grid life does and uh, what my buddies out in California have done. So but I'm really excited to go see people out there.
0: I mean, the uh, one of the challenges of, like, being in Louisville is that it's a smaller airport, and so, like, fly-in events are hard mm-hmm. not because you can't get somewhere but because it's just it's logistically more complicated
1: yeah definitely and so like
0: between layovers and like when the xyz flight leaves it's not like that flight leaves every hour mm-hmm. it's like well if you're going to leave the one leaves on that day yeah um yeah and
1: i think nashville is getting better about especially with southwest's expansion which i mean we all know about the hassle of southwest uh currently and over the holidays but uh um there are definitely a lot more direct flights, but I mean, I even got caught in a situation going to PPIR uh, two years ago where I had to get on a flight. And luckily there was a flight that was leaving within an hour, but it went through Dallas-Fort Worth, which is my absolute nightmare airport. I, I That and Charlotte are the two that I try to avoid at all costs. My one story about...
0: Charlotte that I have is I flew uh, I think for work through Charlotte once and uh, it involved a Sunday travel and I got to the Charlotte airport and I went to the restaurant bar as you do when you're traveling and the server told me like oh we can't serve alcohol until XYZ time and I I was so mad uh, that a blue law could you know influence whether or not I could have a beer at a restaurant in an airport because I am of the opinion that um there is no time zone in an airport it just exists like like uh what w- what's the term for like uh out there in the ocean where you're far enough where no one owns that area
1: oh um that's that's what an airport is. yeah like international waters yeah like, yeah yeah i
0: don't i don't care what happens here i just i just want a beer with my breakfast yeah it's fine um but uh, anyway um So we're here and I think I've like lined up at least four or five uh, podcasts already. I'm going to do one with Luke McGrew. I'm going to do one with Matt Waldbaum, Emma Adams, who does timing and scoring uh, with us at Gridlife, but also has like a a pretty diverse um, motorsport background as well. And uh, I don't know, who else do you think I should uh, try and shoot for?
1: Um, I'd love to get Matan's impressions of his new car Corvette, um, yeah. going from the Miata to a, to a bigger Miata. <laughs> so we
0: recorded with him at Pit Race, and that was like was brand new, brand new, but uh, it's probably had a little more, more time now. Mm. And I would imagine this weekend, like the, the plan is to get it really dialed in. Yeah. So um, he had a really fun race with Luke McGrew at Pit Race. It was fun to watch. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I talked to Luke afterward, and uh, he he had nothing but good things to say. He was like, yeah, I ran it for as much as I could, and then I was just like, eh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap out. I don't need to do the whole enduro, but uh, um, he said he had a great weekend and that, that the vibes were really good there.
0: We got uh, some guys from the Winning Formula uh, that I'm going to have on the show uh, as soon as I can to talk about um, Winning Formula and like their uh, approach. To doing uh, really high-end endurance racing, there's a lot of deep thought and preparation that goes into preparing cars for uh, eight-hour enduros, and I, um, I have some stories in my back pocket that I, I'm hoping we can get into, but like, just really talk about the thoughtful approach to preparing cars for for racing
1: yeah for sure especially enduro stuff is uh it's 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 quite quite a challenge yeah and
0: i would say uh, unlike some of the the shorter duration racings uh the race series like um endurance racing uh is it's not like built for instagram and
1: it's definitely not pretty (laughs) and,
0: and so like uh there are challenges and it's really hard i think to communicate to a general audience just how exciting endurance racing is Mm -hmm. and why it's exciting. But I know that the teams that run love it. Yeah, And so uh, maybe we can talk a little bit with them about how to bridge the gap, or not how to bridge the gap, but like why endurance racing is so interesting. And, And then also... I, uh, I'm just going to like cruise a paddock and see who I can uh, find.
1: Yeah, and just shove a mic in their face and make I, I brought <laughs> make them an do entire it. tub of Gorilla podcasting. Uh,
0: <laughs> slip-angled and track-tuned T-shirts. And I, I said on Instagram a couple days ago that if you found me in the paddock, which might be hard because I'm inside Andy's trailer, uh, I would give you a free T-shirt. So uh, by the time you hear this, it's going to be too late. But you should have come to Barber, and I would have given you a free T-shirt. Um So we're here. We've got maybe just a few minutes left in this primer show. Uh, it's, it's quite early in the morning, and Scott is here uh, to help me get my energy up. Um, what are you going to do, or do you have like um, half a mind to walk around the venue at all, or are you going to try and just hang out here on the paddock?
1: Uh, I'm happy to do either. I mean, I would, I'd love to stop by the motorcycle museum for sure and just see it. I mean, it's, I'm not a huge motorcycle guy as far as like my own life, but I love the art of it. Like, I think they're very beautiful. And I think that the racing that happens on them is, uh, like kind of mind boggling. Like, you know, you're, you're dealing with not only like g forces and lean angles and stuff like that, but then there's like gyroscopic effect, which is like a whole nother, it's a crazy thing. Yeah, it's... it's uh, Motorcycle racing... It's not something that I understand, but it's something that I definitely appreciate. Like, seeing MotoGP, like, watching them break as hard as they can into, you know, into, like, the corkscrew or whatever. And, like, like I've done that in a car. I can't imagine that on, like, a 400-pound race bike where you're, like, leaned over and your elbows are touching the rumble strips. And, yeah.
0: Um. Well, like the the drive down here was super easy, I thought. So Ethan and I left from Louisville at about five o'clock. There's a time change between my house and your house. So we got to your place at like 7.05. Mm -hmm. um, And then we were here at the track at the hotel, which the hotel is right across the street from the, it could not be more convenient.
1: And right across from Bucky's, and which, so uh, like, wow. <laughs>
0: it's, it's just like its own little ecosystem right here. Yeah, for you sure. only need those three places. Yeah. Um,
1: when I think that this is sort of a testament of like, if you build it, they will come. Um, and I think that more and more tracks and cities that are nearby, uh, newer tracks that are being developed, uh, should really use tracks like this as an example because, like, why else do you come to Leeds, Alabama? Like, there's no reason, really. Yep. It's not on the way to anything particularly special. That's definitely true. Um, and, like, no hate on this area. And it's just like, yeah, and it's beautiful, but it's untouched terrain that is otherwise would just be sitting here. Yep. And there's a nice hotel, there's a Bucky's now, which is a, an attraction of its own there's a ton of property around here for sale um and i think that as tracks start to pop up more and more this is a shining example of like what what can happen around a facility like this like take flat rock for example you know they're they're pitching that as a track for those of you who don't know it's a new track that's uh being built uh sort of halfway between knoxville and nashville um And from what I understand, it's uh, being targeted as like an FIA serious, serious racetrack. But they're also doing the AMP model and 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 club model of, uh, uh, you know, build condos and have have kind of like this built in infrastructure. Um, But I but where it is, is actually not Knoxville and it's not Nashville either. It's it's kind of uh, middle of nowhere. Uh, a town called Crossville um, that otherwise would just be like a stop on the way to somewhere else. Fill up, yeah, yeah. somewhere else. Um, but I think that as we start to see more and more of these tracks populate areas like that, um, you know, we're going to see things starting to pop up around them, and it's going to become a place that that people want to go to and you know make it a vacation and and stuff like that like we you know people talk about road america and how it's like the national park of speed, speed and like how just being there is this special thing And i think that that i think that that is what the future of racetracks is because i think as we see them in urban areas um you know take laguna seca for example or ncm or any of those um those noise restrictions become a thing which i could really kind of care less about like if it's if
0: i i think it's kind of unpopular to say but um we were at amp last year and the number of staff that it takes to uh restrain the sound and make sure that they the venue is compliant and good stewards mm-hmm. with their neighbors yeah it's like for people who uh, complain about noise restrictions It is really, it's a colossal waste of staff time to try and police noise. Yeah, it was like three three people's full time job to black flag cars that were over sound, and it's like, well, like let's just let's just turn it down. Yeah,
1: I mean, there was there was a track that was supposed to be built like forty five minutes outside of Nashville, and they had to move even though it was like what was essentially farmland, and they did the noise studies and all that. Um, and that track had to go somewhere else because well cars are loud and while i agree that like a loud race car sounds really cool like you also have to be a good steward of like the area that you're well, living like, in and understand if, if that you influence
0: want the venue to have staying power mm-hmm. right it needs to be it needs to be part of its community yeah and like you know quiet cars' are pretty cool yeah um i, I agree I, I think it's it sucks that cars don't race at Lime Rock on Sunday, but I bet you electric cars could do some stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think that that is you know an untapped market as well. That the you know Laguna Seca, there's actually like a Tesla Corsa event that it is makes sense. all Teslas on track. Why wouldn't you want that? Yeah, and and you know when when you're fighting your neighbors about you know noise or whatever, like I don't know, I'm not against a noise restriction like 90 decibels is like not quiet you know like it's a lot of street cars can't pass that necessarily but like it's a minor modification to your gt3 that you have enough money to modify like
0: i i think people get frustrated out of principle but like at the same time um they also get frustrated that the 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 track can't continue to operate right like if the track is paying uh tickets to the city or or they are stuck in legal battles because they can't comply with their sound requirements um that makes your entry fees go up until the point where like they just can't operate anymore and they just close down
1: exactly and i and i think the more time that or the more racetracks that we have the better for our sport um but i do think that we also need to be good stewards and like if you know that there's a sound restriction maybe just don't go there and with that with your car that's not prepared like they I all think, tell you what, what the decibel reading is, at what distance, at what angle. So, this, I don't know, just a, do this, your due diligence. I'm and, calling out Jeremy Swenson right <laughs> here.
0: So, uh, Swenson famously was like, ah, I'm not going to NCM with the GLTC car because, well, it's a race car. Race cars don't need mufflers. Blah, 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 blah. He sound like, uh, you know, Old Man River here. And then, like, he just put mufflers on and he showed up and he raced. Yeah. He raced really well, too. Yeah. So, like, I think... It's I don't want to say like it's a sign of the times but like we just uh as a as a community we just like need to you know we can compromise a little it's yeah. all right.
1: It's like do you like going to the racetrack? Well then you just have to comply. Yeah. You know.
0: Um All right. Well, uh, I just got a message from Andrew Rains from from Apex Pro and everything else. He's on the second floor of the tower. So I think I might actually pack up the gear and go over there for a little while and do a show with Andrew because he's uh He's charming on the microphone in ways that I could never be.
1: Yeah, he is. Plus, he's handsome as hell. Damn it. (laughs) All right.
0: Thanks a lot for listening, and I hope you enjoy one of many, many Barber Motorsports uh, podcasts. So talk to you soon. Welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle Show. I'm here with Andrew Rains, who is like uh, one of those guys who's always a barber. And uh, it's, I guess, Sunday morning, but we've only got a few minutes, so I'm going to package Andrew's interview uh, hopefully right with the introduction to barber um, but you've just done a gltc fun race and i think you had a, a pretty good race who did you race with
2: lap one i tried to hang with a tab didn't work very well we uh we went side by side through the turn two complex and uh came out side by side into five i kind of let him take the lead going into seven because you can't really follow you can't really go side by side through there and go fast and then all the Miatas and S2000s ahead of me just slowly checked out. And so I ended up defending from two Corvettes, Matan and Luke.
0: Yeah, I think Matan was, uh, he was a little spicy after that race. He, uh, I think he wanted to get past you and he wasn't able to.
2: Yeah, we messaged on Facebook about it and he was like, man, I was so frustrated in the moment. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm good at making the car wide. That's kind of my thing. I want to go faster, but, you know, the diff in that car is the stock rear end, the stock diff. So it was like spinning. Every time out of five, it's like... So what what diff is conventionally in that car? Conventionally, it's a Ford 8.8 independent rear suspension. The whole assembly. Basically, the whole rear end of a Ford Explorer or Mustang. Okay. And uh, it wasn't in the car for this race because... We're building a new car, for primarily for WRL, that okay. hopefully we'll do some GLTC in. What class in WRL? GP1. Okay not the top class, but the second class down, it's very close to GLTC. It's like a little bit faster. It's like mm-hmm. it's 12, 12 to one power to weight Okay, is what, our, what we end up being at with modifiers and everything. So it's like at a hundred pounds and you're in GLTC, but the rules are slightly different. So yeah, right. you can do a lot of different things. And the big difference between a WRL car and a GLTC car and why they're a little harder to make equivalent is because like every single decision you make for a WRL car is to make it last nine hours. Right. Not to make it go as fast as possible for 20 right. minutes. So
0: things like brake kits and fuel cells and all of those things, it's just, yep. they're just different. The whole
2: fueling apparatus, the 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 shocks are a little less like you want shocks that don't overheat the fluid and end up, you're not looking for absolute performance. It's, it's just like a lot of different things. So if you're two seconds slower than GLTC pace and you have a little more horsepower, it's also easier to race sure. as well. So it's it's just a different philosophy. But they end up being very close. Um, like it, if we were racing at a track with a longer straight, like if we went to VIR, I would probably be faster than GLTC cars because we have a little more power. But on a twisty track, it's just not as – you run an E46 and WRL because the fuel cell, the fuel tank, the factory fuel tank is so big. And the way they do the fuel rules running like an S2000 or something with a small tank is just less advantageous for fuel mileage and stint length. Got it. So the E46 is slower because the motor hangs out over the freaking front axle, right? <laughs> so the weight distribution sucks compared to, like an S2000 is a great example because the motor's like in the driver's feet, right? Um, so your center of gravity's very tall in an E46, and the weight distribution's very far forward. So they're not ideal from a pure sports car perspective, but they're great for the WRL rule set. Oh sure.
0: So uh, I think people are used to seeing the U in. You know, their Instagram and Facebook feeds always talking about Apex Pro. I've noticed in the last several months that you've not been uh, as active on, on Apex Pro as uh, maybe previous. What else have you been working on?
2: Yeah, we um, our business does a lot outside of just Apex Pro. Um, actually, I'm about to get on a plane to go to Las Vegas for a trade show to uh, do some work for our carbon fiber company. We make carbon fiber accessories primarily for firearms, but for other applications as well. So that's one aspect of what we do. Um, We also have another business that basically designs products like the Apex Pro for other people. So we design circuit boards, the enclosure for circuit boards, the connection protocol from a circuit board to a phone or to the internet. So very commonly we're like basically putting a cell phone chip in a device to go out in the field somewhere and send data back to the internet, do a lot of GPS related work. That's a lot of Bluetooth related stuff, so anything that connects to Bluetooth. So we design a variety of different products. Right now we do like a couple of marine products, working on a, um, a yacht IoT system, um, some software stuff on that as well, and uh, working on a contract for the Army. That's kind of interesting. And then we've also, we also do some uh, robotics related work. Um, last year we were on a contract through the Department of Energy to do kind of control systems for robots. And we built a digital twin to train a robot inside a nuclear reactor, how to fix a pipe flange if it breaks. Without ever having to actually do it because you build the digital environment and take those images from the digital environment to teach the real robot how, oh, to, interesting. how to mimic it. So you can cause a failure in the digital environment that you hope never happens in the nuclear reactor. You put the robot in place when you build the reactor and then when that happens you can teach the robot how to, how to do any, anything you can of do. On the the digital and, twin. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's called digital twinning. Um, and it's fairly complicated, but it, it speaks to, you met Austin yesterday. That's Austin's real skill set and proficiency is sure. is control systems, mechatronics, um, hardware, software, kind of combo engineering. Mm-hmm. So we, do, we work with clients on projects from like a $50,000 scope to a $300,000 scope right now. Our bread and butter is like a two hundred thousand dollar project that takes about six months to get to a prototype stage and then we support that into mass production. Gotcha. Got about four or five of those. So that's what I've been working on. I've been interfacing with those clients and kinda having to let Apex Pro more or less run itself. But we've gotten to the point where people more or less know how to use the product, they know how to get resources for it. I send some emails and it, it kind of sustains. But um,
0: Is there anything new that you can talk about on the, the motorsport or, or track side, like with
2: Apex Pro or any other venture you're in? Uh, yeah, well, a couple of things. The, uh, we do have a, a new app for Apex Pro that's going to include Android compatibility. Yay! Um, and it's looking really good. We've used it all day yesterday. Okay. Um, and so for the Android user, it's free to download. It's got a lot of cool features. You can use our CrewView community feature for free. So if you download the app right now, the Apex Pro app that you can find on the App Store for iOS users, you can use that feature. But now everybody can download that and see everyone that's running an Apex Pro in the entire world. Friday, I was watching a guy on uh, Zolder, which is in the Netherlands, um, stream Apex Pro data, which is really cool. Um, so if you're an Android user, that's going to be coming. Um, we kind of revised the whole user interface. I really like it. Um, worked with a professional UI design firm to do that. Um, and then I also own a shop called Birmingham Roden Race in Birmingham, Alabama, and we build race cars, um, track support, you know, just track day prep type stuff.
0: Um, how big is that as, um, an operation currently? Like, are you, are you prepping cars that are, um, going to exist kind of in this locale or are you, if you're doing trackside support, are you also planning to, to be extending, you know, across the United States as part of that?
2: Yeah, so a little bit of both, but primarily there's not a lot of track support infrastructure in Birmingham, okay. even though we have a racetrack that people travel to quite frequently from all over. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of people in Atlanta, Nashville, Birmingham, Montgomery, Mobile, the entire, everywhere east, everywhere west of here until you get to Texas. It's like a racetrack wasteland, sure. right? So a lot of people come here very regularly from like Arkansas, Mississippi. You know, there's not, like, Memphis International Raceway just closed. There's not any tracks until you get to Ozarks or NOLA Motorsports. Uh So all those people come to Barber, and there's not a lot of support infrastructure around Barber for motorsports enthusiasts. So we're really focused on being, like, the regional, you know, hub for track day prep, race car builds, specializing primarily in, in helping people at this track. Cause we have a okay. lot of skill here, uh-huh. but we also have our own WRL program and we're running the majority of the season. So we're going all over the country. Got it. We'll probably hit a couple of grid life races as well. Uh-huh. Um, but that's more of a program. We rent seats for that program. Um, but that's more to say like, we're a race shop that races come race with us. It's not necessarily to, to be like, hey, we're doing this to make a whole bunch of money. We're doing this because we're racers and we want to be racing. Yeah, sure. But also you learn so much that's really essential to help your customer builds because you're pushing everything way past the point it should ever really be oh, pushed. Absolutely. Um,
0: last night I recorded with The Winning Formula uh, talking about how they got into WRL and also... Um, um, what they do in preparation for an event and uh, the amount of uh, time and dollars that goes into preparing for a WRL event if your intent is to win um, is is out of control. But you've been doing WRL for a little while. How would you describe the experience?
2: Yeah, the the key thing is something I've heard you say a lot, which is like racing to win and racing to race are two different things. So the budget to just show up, if you're, if you're local to a track and you want to show up and race a WRL race, you can probably take your GLTC car or your NASA, SCCA, whatever car, and run a weekend. You're not going to be competitive because you don't put a ton of time on that car in sprint racing. It'll probably last the first weekend. But if you're going to do any meaningful amount of endurance races, where you're doing you know twenty hours of time on the car in a weekend, you you pretty much are you're not doing a full rebuild on the car, but all of the wear parts are going to get changed over the course of three races. Yeah. So we do wheel bearings every third race, all four wheel bearings, um, pretty much every suspension component. You know, dampers get refreshed halfway through the year. Motor gets refreshed every off season, because by the end of the year, you've put over a hundred hours on everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a really that would take four years of. Three years of GLTC racing.
0: <laughs> so, um, in in uh, we'll get into it because I'm sure my interview with Andrew will be released much sooner than the the show I did with the Winning Formula. But um, they they do everything. I mean, absolutely everything that can be refreshed is essentially just new, and um, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of effort. But when you have a team of people where you have you know four or five, six people traveling to a place to compete for a weekend. The last thing you want is like uh, a ball joint failure to take you out of a race because it's, well, it's not that hard to change and it's not that expensive, but you thought it would be fine and it's not.
2: Yes, exactly. So, so you really do like, exactly. We, we change so many things just preventatively so that we don't end up having a painful weekend because that's so. Well, not and fun.
0: and that's not to say too that even if you did that change that you wouldn't have a part fail. Uh, it's just, a, well, you just you just change it and you hope it won't fail.
2: Yeah, and honestly, it, it changing stuff that often. If you think about mechanics in terms of like, you know, like typically on cars, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. You know, like service the serviceable parts and not the non-serviceable parts. Uh-huh. But, at the point on these race cars, like you're servicing things that were never really intended to be serviced regularly from the factory. Like, sure. You weren't ever supposed to do wheel bearings this often. So you end up wearing all sorts of things like bearing races and you damage hubs and you you do stuff like that. So sometimes you put a new part in and just the human error of you touching that so many times causes a failure. Sure. Or the part, you know, you've put on your fourth wheel bearing this year. Well, eventually you're going to get a bad one. Yeah. We had a wheel bearing failure at VIR that had eight hours on it. No which way. Is, which is nothing. Um, and it was just a part failure, and so you do it you do add a lot of sophistication and complexity, so if you want to do a handful of those races it's my recommendation would be the great. all right, get out there, Red group. Um, my recommendation would be pay more money to have a highly professional individual do it because. Restricting it, and it depends on your proficiency. Maybe you're a professional mechanic or have a ton of experience, but if you're dependent on your own labor to get a car prepped to do multiple WRL races, you're going to probably end up causing more problems than you prevented by changing all this stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just, it's a lot of hands on the car. It's,
0: um, uh, WRL sounds like such a unique challenge, and uh, Aaron and I have been talking. He's got me like hooked on the strategy. Part oh it's great of, yeah. Uh, racing and so I'm going to try very very hard to join his team at Mid-Ohio this year and just be the guy that's learning how to run the spreadsheets. Oh yeah, nice. And, like cuz that's that's where my head and heart are at. And so like also in this kind of racing I think that's where the fun is. Yeah. To to be able to like know and understand what your team is doing and have a really good idea of what other teams are doing and try and you know, do the calculations and predictions to win, to win the, way the race on strategy and not necessarily exclusively on straight pace. Yeah.
2: And WRL has a lot of parallels with GLTC and how they administer penalties and driver conduct. So for folks that are racing in grid life, it's pretty easy to trans- translate over into WRL because <laughs> you're expected to drive the same way. Sure. You know, contact is absolutely not allowed every contact incidents reviewed and penalties are issued. A lot of drivers get kicked out on a weekend or they get put on probation or they they have very severe consequences and they administer them mid race with video evidence. Really? So you have to be very, and and sometimes, sometimes it hurts you because you're, you're accidentally part of something that you shouldn't, you know, you're somewhere that was just bad timing and you can get penalized, but it just really reinforces not to put the car in a compromising position. Sure. yeah, Yeah. Cause you've got to make it nine hours. But then it all, like it's gotten so competitive, it comes down to the last hour, and now you've got to go race, and it turns into a GLTC race for the last 30 minutes. Yeah. So it's it's a really cool, it's a really cool format and series, and I, I appreciate the WRL and GLTC. Those are the two areas I've raced the most, and I feel like they have a lot of similar expectations for how people drive and sure. treat each other on the racetrack.
0: So how many uh, cars does Birmingham Road and Race um, have in preparation or, or plan to run in, in the next coming season?
2: We're going to have one full-time WRL E46 and GP1 for the race at Barber. Since it's our home race, we're going to run two cars because we have two E46 race cars that okay. are prepped for WRL. Um, and then we'll probably help a couple of customers get their cars up to snuff. You
0: also have an E36. What's... Uh, I do what? not. I sold
2: the E36. Oh, but, it, but it's
0: here? It's here. Yeah. Okay. The
2: guys that I co-owned it with are racing it this weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. It's a good old car. Yeah. yeah it's not around. competitive in in, uh, in the GLTC realm, but... Eh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Needs a better rear end well, in it.
0: So what, uh, what are you planning to do for 2023? Like as a driver?
2: Primarily, I'm going to race uh, NOLA f- with WRL and Barbara with WRL. And then depending on our driver lineup for the rest of the year, I'll either coach or drive at probably five or six WRL races. Um, we're hoping to go to Carolina Motorsports Park and run one of our WRL cars and GLTC trim. Cool. Um, so we'll see. It kind of just depends on the, the other business elements too, you know, depending on how busy our project work gets, how many people we hire, um, how yeah. much time I can get away to, to do stuff like that.
0: Yeah, because you Um, uh, you like me are a recent uh, dad. It it makes it makes event travel a little more complicated. Exactly. Um, The last thing I wanted to ask you about before I let you go is you mentioned the Android app. Is there a release date uh, target for for that, or are people like can you offer a maybe third quarter or or something like that?
2: It's uh, it's going to be sooner than that. I mean, it's as of this weekend. I'm very confident in its functionality. So it's going to get cleaned up in the next month. And the goal is to have it out by the time everybody's back on the track. You know, the whole country's back on the racetrack. Sure. So it'll be probably a late February debut. Um, we'll start promoting it. Um, if you're on an iOS, on our iOS app, you can transition to the new app. We're going to leave the old app on the store for quite a while so you can continue to use it. It just won't get any updates. Sure. And I think, I think everyone who's used to that app will really like the interface and the new app and start when to When is migrate. that one available? They'll both be available at the same time okay. fe- February. Yeah, uh, we use a we use a cross platform tool now, so they're both developed in the same code base. Okay. So you'll push. You can push releases separately, but we probably will do them in parallel. In parallel.
0: Um, how? Uh, what's the current inventory like on Gen Two units? If people are interested, can uh, are they in stock?
2: We are. So in the winter, we always carry as little inventory as possible. Makes sense because it's a slower time of year. Um, but we do have some in stock. Gotcha. So yeah, yeah. If you're interested in getting some Apex Pro hardware, we'll be tooling up. You know, we try to get orders in before Chinese New Year for the the overseas suppliers that we use. Because uh-huh. if somebody that makes electronics tells you they're not made in China, they're lying, because all circuit boards originate from China. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so you have to get you have to get circuit boards, not completely built circuit boards, but like raw circuit boards that have like solder pads on them from Taiwan, China, Singapore the only place in the world that makes them because the process is not great for the environment. It wouldn't even be a, couldn't even do it here. Right. Um, which is a crazy dichotomy to think about in the world we live in. But, uh, so that's kind of the workflow. Usually about March, we're carrying a lot more inventory.
0: Well, uh, I really appreciate having you on the show. I know that you got to jump on a plane, but, uh, I look forward to seeing you, uh, hopefully at Carolina.
2: Yeah. I'm looking, it's a great little track. I hope to be there. Thanks.
1: Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jibay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough, and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes, and come and find us in the Pittsburgh Grid Live to say hello.